No one needs to privately own a dangerous assault elephant. Welcome to Extra Credit. The internet isn't helping the snakes in the ball pit tonight. Our three, four, Ganymede. I am already sort of angry thinking about my permanent insignificance in the commodities market of 0x6243d7d8d4349 question mark question mark question mark exclamation point question mark exclamation point question mark period Dijon Dujour you can always tell when you've said something true because the deafening confused silence it produces <laughs> mix in this moment I am euphoric not because of any phony god's blessing, but because I am a dragon, and hence superior to god. <laughs> yeah. Break West! Every now and then I think about trying to craft the world's least appropriate media experience, but I have a hard time committing it to making it as truly awful as it could be. <laughs> <laughs> you be the judge, audience. We came so close this time. <laughs> yeah, that's not a quote from the person, that's me. <laughs> Shell game. Other girls. Perfect hair, perfect makeup, superficial, always looking for male approval. Me, Cyber Dragon! <laughs> 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 Hello. Hi, everybody, including the person who didn't say hello. What? Oh. Listen, I'm, I'm hoping that if I pretend I'm not here, then I, I won't I won't get eaten. Eaten? Yeah, dragons can't see you if you don't move. Yeah. Dragons? Yeah. Um. I I don't I don't like dragons. You see, is what? the thing. No. But Dijon. Dragons are the best! I don't know. I, I, f I feel like I could be convinced that dragons are pretty good. If only, if only I could be introduced to a very argumentative dragon. Pick a side and stop dragging your feet. <laughs> well, I'm, sh I'm sure if you look on YouTube, you'll find some very prolific dragon uh, YouTubers that can... That's true. Man, you guys, I... I... I love that this is not a bit or anything, and that we're just having a normal conversation. <laughs> yeah, just like we were before we started recording. I mean, yeah. I mean, most of your most of our conversations with you revolve around dragons, Shell. So, <laughs> look, yeah, this I is have... not <laughs> okay. Okay, look, look. I just like dragons; they're cool. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> hello, listeners. You might be wondering why are they okay? Why are they talking about dragons? Why are they talking about being afraid of being eaten? Why are they talking about arguments? Are we having a vor debate? No, there is a reason for that. It's because tonight I have compiled a document that was brought to uh, my awareness by 
uh, Vinny Possum, friend of the show, uh, he brought us a blog that is held by a, uh, an interesting individual. This individual started a blog, uh, I don't know, I want to say some number of years ago that doesn't matter, uh, when they were in school, I assume it's for an assignment, and they, uh, very promptly stopped posting to it for several years until they came back and started and started making extremely long-winded posts about dragons and capitalism and philosophy. Yeah. They're older and wiser. They have so much more to share now. So it turns out they dropped out of college, and that's why they stopped posting. And now that, but now they're back, and they're certified. What was it, Dijon? They're a certified, certified real dragon. That Dijon, they are officially certified not a lunatic since two thousand eighteen. Ah, oh, that's kind of recent. Yeah. I mean, I guess because they're a real dragon, you can't be a lunatic because all dragons are. Very smart, yeah. as I've heard. Yeah, exactly. Very sage. This person's name is a uh, uh, <laughs> this person's name is uh, if we uh, Aleph Weir. Uh, this is going to be a stumbling Weir. block, I think. And uh, their blog is uh, Dance Fighter Redux over on WordPress. Uh, there's zero dollar Patreon. Asked me to confirm that I was 18, which is a great and, sign. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, they do have a. Uh, don't read ahead. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> Well, uh, Gaddy, since you're there, Alifweir does have a Patreon. Yeah, I'm, I'm desperately trying to figure out what the fuck it's about. Um, hey, why don't you just read everything that's on it? <laughs> closest I've got is uh, about, This Patreon is for the exploration of esoteric and related themes via my own fluctuating chaos magic framework, as I have established on Twitter and on my blog at http colon slash slash dancefighterredux.wordpress.com, which I'm sure we'll be visiting. I will restore the Dragon Sphere! Woo! Uh. He will restore the Dragon Sphere! (laughs) (laughs) The the banner is entirely in MS Paint, and it's really, really fucking good. Uh, Yeah. It doesn't. You can't even see it all. There's speech bubbles. Just sort of. It sort of looks like one of the dragons is telling me that they use cookies to improve my experience using. This. <laughs> 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 it super does. The text that is visible doesn't look like it would form words if hey, all of it were visible. Hey, good news! I found their Twitter already. Oh, oh great! Thank and you. they've got the awesome. full image. Um, it's just so the only words. two writings, uh, the posts by Elifware on the Patreon, since I was asked to read the entire thing, uh, by becoming a patron, you'll instantly unlock access to two exclusive posts. The first of which, uh, from August 1st, 2019, is fetish content, including dragon fetishists and dragon sexuality. Yay! Fuck. <laughs> uh, no, the second locked. is just labeled Megadump of Old Writings. Just all my old bullshit. I, I had to go somewhere. Megadump of Old Text, including Dragon's Guide to Magick, Modalities, and Practicalities of Hell. Uh, comma? Dragon Corporation presents the Dragon oh, Sphere. No. Oh no, he's a corporation <laughs> now? The Dragon Fuck. Sphere! <laughs> Dragon Sphere's already a thing. It's like a point-and-click game from... Anyway. Uh... Well, uh... 
It was. Okay, no, I have to stop looking at their Twitter. These drawings are very good, but this is not what the episode's about. <laughs> we well, should include you, a couple. Mix, if you do find anything, let me know, and I, I can try to slip in somewhere. <laughs> uh, so now we're going to read... Okay, so we're going to just start... We're going to read through his very, very good essays. Oh, you subscribe Her? to the Patreon? Wow, this is... I'm just... I'm just... I'm still scrolling. So... We're going to start off with an argument against a uh, something that might be familiar to a lot of our listeners. I know it's familiar to me. Uh, against Malatora and towards a draconic post-human future. Now I'm going to read a bit and I'm going to pass it along to somebody when I get the inclination. There's like 15 pages. <laughs> We can Holy skip shit. as needed. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a graph in the middle of this. <laughs> there sure is. Uh, it's hard work to be... There will be a test. <laughs> it's hard work to be a lunatic. Which, uh, hold on. Yeah, you have this to... This was posted in 2018. Yeah, this directly they were clashes with your certifications. Lunatic. Not only do you have to consistently find ways to present yourselves that are orthogonal to the normies, you also have to differentiate yourself from all the Not other the right crackpots. Okay. <laughs> all, all while investing enough mental and social capital into the neurotypical economy to sustain yourself. There's a lot of words in this. Yeah. It is a... It is a great tragedy that the first mover advantage of, of, for the post-human dragon microstate concept went to Tagon. I guess I will have to work extra hard now to outcompete Malatora in the economy of ideas. I mean, to be fair, uh, Malatora's economy is entirely an idea right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to point out that that, uh, that, uh, that episode of the F-Plus was years and years ago. And this was something that they wrote, like, a year and a half ago. Yeah, it's Michelle. amazing that the person carrying the torch isn't even in support of Malatora. They're like, I gotta take a stand. Shell, it's gonna take more than a couple years to develop an island nation of dragon robot penises. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Good point. No, of. You were right. It makes sense to begin my pitch by explaining some of the flaws in the Malatora brand. Now, I am not an economist or a social scientist, and in fact, uh -huh. there is much that limits my an analytic capacity. <laughs> Mainly because I'm dumb. But anyway. <laughs> Mike Mincius Moldbug, I am a uh, college dropout. Just... Though in my case, I made my exit from undergrad. That's my favorite character from Bug Fables. <laughs> I am also a schizophrenic. And I have brain damage. And I may just be hot and I may just possibly be autistic as well. Possibly. Curtis Guy Yarvin, also known by the pen name Mincius Moldbug, is an American far right political theorist, blogger, and computer scientist. Mm. Yay! Mm, real and smart man. So. Besides that, there is the fact that I scarcely attended K-12 school and got most of my education from shitposting on the internet in a series <laughs> of campaigns that saw me permabanned from almost every major form ever to grace cyberspace. <laughs> Even so, a few small 
flaws stand out to me in this whole communist post-human environmentalist autarkic dragon microstate idea? Only a few. There's like one or two <laughs> problems. I don't think this guy realizes that like everybody gets banned from something awful at some point. You're not special. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just imagining this guy like uh, in kindergarten, like skipping school to hang out in alleys with his laptop and flipping off cops. <laughs> Tagon and his ilk begin not with basic economic or even legal theory, even of the useless communist type, but with social norms. In fact, essentially the entire concept of Malatora, sans dragons anyway, is an ambient (laughs) collection of social norms and the entirely contradictory, dysfunctional, and insane implications that result from them now remember it's the ideas that make it insane not the dragon robots i mean i feel like social norms are a lot easier to enforce when everyone can breathe fire (laughs) or a lot harder (laughs) (laughs) but i do appreciate argument that when fire breath is made criminal only criminals will have fire Oh, then why am I, well, then why am I reading in the newspaper about a lightning breath attack that killed five? (laughs) Well, you know, we need certain regulations on various esoteric type of breath weapons, obviously. (laughs) Seems like someone used claws anyway. Are we really safer? Superficial example of this entire, the entirely cosmetic code of Melatora. Period. To be, to the be fair, the code of their website example. is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The most problematic example of this is the full and unqualified adoption of a set of both positive and negative rights. Negative rights? <laughs> listen, listen, you have the right to free speech. You also have the right to, you know, get stabbed a few times. <laughs> you have the right to no, free speech. That you, no, you it's like you have, the, have right. the right to not not free speech. To oh. <laughs> mean speech. Oh. The contradictions that result from this are immediately manifest. In Melatora, one has absolute ownership of one's body with all, and all transactions reflect consent. Yet, labor is assigned by work order and it is illegal to withhold quote-unquote food, housing, healthcare, or education. Freedom uh-huh. of association is enshrined, but so is that an absolute right to work? Academic and scientific freedom are enshrined, yet one's labor assignment is still dictated to them. Oh, hey, hey, stop me if you heard this one before. One is obligated to obey their work order. But they they are also entitled to complete freedom of movement. (laughs) One has no right to deny housing to someone, but one has a right to shoot and kill any intruder to one's home. Worst of all, this not... of contradictions is not allowed to simply unwind itself through social experimentation since it becomes load-bearing in a very serious way as soon as this chestnut is introduced. The right to protect these rights by any means necessary. Now, we go into a lot of things about whatever the every whatever every means necessary is, but we don't need to hear about it because I want us to skip down to the end of page four here. And uh, Dijon, tell me about the first and second and third values 
And listen, listen. It said that I have the right to the pursuit of happiness, but what if making me happy is shooting people, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, first value. Consent and self-ownership. Mm-hmm. Okay. Consent seems like a seems like a reasonable value. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good emphasis, I'm sure. You can probably just skip the rest of this because you can guess what the re- <laughs> Yeah, that probably sums it up. <laughs> Good in markets, bad in relationships. Wink. If we if we mean by consent, people only do what best suits them out of their range of options, unrestricted by coercion and according to their own inclinations. Uh, I okay, then consent seems obviously good. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. Yeah. Especially since, in general, by emphasizing consent as a paradigm, we create a world that tends to iteratively increase people's range of opi- options over time. I don't Could know you if please I ruin this with one word? <laughs> However, oh, no! there he is! Fuck. If by consent we made people only engage in interactions where they can explicitly communicate that these interactions best suit them to those they interact with, then I disagree with the value. Self-ownership um. seems mostly co-equal and c- to consent at least functionally. I will not add extra comment on it, which is the first time I have not added extra comments on things. <laughs> Second value, democracy slash equality. Terrible. Ugh. Ugh, Terrible. The worst. Mincius <laughs> uh, Moldberg, despite our disagreements on other issues, had a lot of very reasonable things to say against democracy and equality. It also it violates my inclinations towards elitism, traditionalism, and so forth. Listen, I'm at the top of the hierarchy. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I, I hoard hierarchy, then I sit on top of it. Right, 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 right. It's a paradigm, you see. More on this later when I expound my own alternative. Well, look, if you don't know Mr. Moldbug's esteemed positions on all things, and you didn't do the reading for this course... It's true. <laughs> uh, third value, sexual freedom, including LGBT rights, polyamory, and free love. Very mixed. Certainly I would agree, no time, no force should be brought to bear against consenting adults acting in the privacy of their own homes, but sexual norms seem socially important to me. <sighs> this doesn't mean I think societies should disrespect polyamory. <laughs> oh, <that's... laughs> well, as long as you're standing up for one of them. Wow, what a surprise. That's the only one I'm okay with. (laughs) Malator's straightest polycule. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a a great point. If you get a bunch of people who want to be cyborg dragons together and they want to live in a a polycule, they're very clearly going to be straight. Uh, traditionalist societies decide in general the only correct way to be sexual is to be heterosexual and monogamous. But if it is in fact right for a homosexual to be homosexual and so forth, then there must also be a right and a wrong way to be homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess... Step one. <laughs> right way. Do I put it... No, I don't think it fits in the belly button. Oh, I well, I just got married and had complete rights. Ah, oh, fuck, I did it wrong! So do I fuck the the lady? No. 
<laughs> Are you sure? Uh, fuck, I got married to someone of the opposite sex. I've told you, you don't cross <laughs> these wires. <laughs> I'm just no good at this gay thing. I've got a bottle of Riesling and a crescent wrench. <laughs> uh, uh, now the lightning round. A uh, person who has colloquial self-awareness, not humanity. Yeah, agreed. Indigenous rights. <laughs> sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. I don't. I don't. I don't have any. I don't have any arguments ready for this. I'm moving on. Oh I don't... my god. Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay with indigenous hey. people as long as they f- fuck people according to the rules. Hey, Frank. Yes. I think we're starting on a new argument. We're in fact we're starting on a new um analysis, if right. you will, of a very important text that we as a society have based a lot of our social and philosophical meaning on. Mm-hmm. Look, I know where you're going with this one, and I'll just cut to the chase. It's, I mean, everybody's done some essay on this at some point or another. Yeah. Spyro the Dragon, a gay masculinist building's Roman. Well, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, Dijon, the door's locked now. This is the whole reason you're here. <laughs> Shit. Well... Spyro Reignited was released on PC recently, so I snagged a copy and started playing my way through the trilogy. I had originally planned an epic blog... Bl- fuck me. An epic blog post encapsulating my views about all three games. But as my mind is slipping more and more over time, and as I can't know in advance whether each game will warrant thematically similar styles of investigation, I... <laughs> Decided it is best to chunk things up into three, or at most four, total blog posts. Hmm. These blog posts are liable to be much more meditative than analytical and may seem somewhat disjointed when read back to back due to their unplanned nature. Without unlike my usual writing. uh, Sorry, everybody, recording over. I was, I was wrong. Like. They know it sounds like this, so what, what are we going to do? Yeah, also, also without <laughs> well, looking, I'm going to guess uh, four blog posts rather than three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come the on, first it's, thing it's that... at least seven. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that jumps out about the original Spyro the Dragon is how cute and childish it is. Okay. If it wasn't for its especially polished visuals and enjoyable aesthetic qualities, it could actually come across as an educational game. Hey, fuck off, buddy. <laughs> educational games can be pretty, too. <laughs> Look, we all know... Oh, never mind. He's got to mention the game I was about to make a joke yep. about. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> It has the same sort of compactness, sparseness, or even emptiness as something like Math Blaster or Mario Teaches Typing. <laughs> Mario Teaches Typing through Ennui. <laughs> I'm sorry that the Jumpstart uh, Dachshund Dog mascot isn't fuckable enough for you. I hate it, well, I hate it when you click not. through the level geometry and Mario Teaches Typing. <laughs> <laughs> the I can't believe they tried to reboot Math Blaster like eight times. <laughs> Did they actually? Uh. Yeah, it's called oh. Doom 2016. <laughs> Great. I deserve that. Thank you. Hey, how come there's no horny number muncher? Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, 789, Frank. Nice. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Mm, so you'll have to get to that later. Uh, 
The simplicity of the game ends up dovetailing with its graphical appearance, general presentation, and even with its themes in a way that is not entirely unpleasant, <laughs> but which must be assumed to be largely unintentional, an artifact of PS1-era game design. In the context of modern gaming, the game plays like a YouTube Unity 3D tutorial. What? However... Huh? In conjunction, just put no. You have to put it in modern terms that everybody can understand. Well, I mean, I could have just said the game feels pretty empty, especially from a modern perspective. But that's not a full paragraph, now, is it? <laughs> hey, are, it actually is. Are we no. sure that this also, guy? Also, you've already said that, so you just so basically you reveal that you're just saying the same thing multiple times. Are, are you sure that this isn't just this guy's NaNoWriMo, but it's nonfiction? <laughs> <laughs> I have gamed the NaNoWriMo system by realizing I can just write any old bullshit. Uh, that is 130% correct. <laughs> Narratively, Spyro the Dragon is a classic coming-of-age story. Mm -hmm. It explores mm -hmm. the adolescence of a young dragon as he learns valuable lessons and asserts his abilities against the backdrop of what amounts to a boulderized form of terrorism. I mean, he he literally explores and is adolescent, but hey, I don't think what? this... Hey, what? I've not played Spyro. What the fuck is... Is that true? No. Okay. I mean, it's... <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're about to be... You're about to find out. Why it's true. You see, valuable. You see Spyro breaking a collection of curiously attractive dragon dads out of crystal represents yeah. puberty. <laughs> Don't read ahead. <laughs> oh, no. The valuable lessons, of course, are 95% gameplay mechanics, and many what? of them come after the player already had to figure them out. Look, there's a time in every young man's <laughs> life when he has to learn how far his jump goes so he can get over yeah. the pits. <laughs> <laughs> now, you may notice your voice deepening and you might gain a double jump <laughs> yeah but only for a little bit because that's a glitch oh, that's you right. lose it by your 20s in order to free many dragons from their gemstone encasings a primary objective of the game you have to figure out new abilities on the fly just to get where they're located the dragons because he can't fly <laughs> uh -huh. the Dragons then give you advice, or utter some quip or comment, and also I resent you saying that there's a joke in this post. There's nothing funny about any of them. <laughs> but the advice is often an explanation of what you needed to do to free them in the first place. Why, the uselessness and superfluousness of the dragon wisdom contribute to the childishness of the game. It also makes Bio the Dragon feel like somebody just wrote down the basic skeletal constituents of a building's Roman in a generalized form, almost algebraically, perhaps on a cocktail napkin. How many fucking metaphors are you going to crash into each other? <laughs> that, that's what all the Spyro critics say about it. <laughs> oh, uh, I guess I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't been keeping up. Building's Roman, you can just call it the Parthenon. Well, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, I have... <laughs> Don't worry, I have uh, a lot of commentary about all sorts of games here. Let me, let me put it in perspective for you. It is somewhat like looking at a skeleton, in fact. The game feels <laughs> unfinished. A.K.A. totally sweet. <laughs> Popped out. Well, uh, what I mean by that is that the game feels totally unfinished. That is reminiscent of the final segments of Metal Gear Solid V. Mm, mm. Unlike Metal Gear... <laughs> 
don't think, no, I don't think there's anything unlike between these two. Yeah, one of one of the few things that Spyro the Dragon is unlike Metal Gear Solid Five. Uh, Spyro the Dragon has a much clearer concept of the essence of its genre. The result is an unintentional exploration not of a specific dragon story, so much as the highly abstracted liminal space of Yes, there it is! There's that word! <laughs> Fuck! God, what is it like when this person plays a game that actually has a story they can extrapolate from, like, that you're supposed to think about? They hate it. <laughs> I, just, I just like this guy's complete inability to differentiate the past from the present. <laughs> like all, all video games exist at the same time I love that I can tell I mean I love that I can tell that this well, is all from a, a college writing course because like, think of it like this just love, the word liminal shows up in like every single awful essay I, yeah, I think you're on the money. I looked up uh, Bildungsroman, and it is a literary term, if you believe yeah. it, uh, about a novel dealing with one's personal formative years or spiritual education. Yeah, it's any work that's like... Spyro. Like, it's, any, it's any story where it's like <laughs> a kid starts as a kid and then they grow up. It's a coming-of-age story. Right. <laughs> like, this guy didn't you want to write Slice of, of Life because that'd be showing it too much. Mm. <laughs> This degree of abstraction, combined with other aspects of the game, lends itself to a broad range of interpretations or applicability. There are so you many people... Out, you don't have to write like this anymore. <laughs> For me and me alone, it represents these things. You see, the game has uh, nothing to say, therefore I can make it say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny you should say that, because uh, the game is very unlikely to truly contain them. It is basically all broth and no soup, as far as that's concerned. <laughs> but it allows what? for them in an interesting way. <laughs> I'm going There's to just come across this. By this argument, a blank piece of paper is perhaps the most intriguing piece of fiction ever written. Christ. <laughs> 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 There's a real comparative literature theory out there like that. Um, anyway. Oh, yeah, because hmm. academia just gets... First... The context. Spyro the Dragon is true to many dragon myths, including Eastern dragon mythos, in that all dragons are male. However, the maleness of dragons in mythology is generally metaphysical, <coughs> not literal. With dragons being principles, or spirits, with spirits. Astral dongs, I guess. Are, are we going to get a dividing line in a subheader about metaphysical gender, please? Cause <laughs> a superficial a similarity primer. with angels exists. However, angels are typically considered metaphysically genderless and merely depicted as male. Whereas dragons are typically considered materially genderless, but metaphysically male. The question then emerges... Is Spyro the Dragon meant to be metaphysical? Oh, the answer emerged too. It's no. <laughs> um, it's no. It seems like a silly question to ask about a children's game. Mm-hmm. But it is not entirely unreasonable. First, oh, wow. the dragon realms in Spyro are divided into mostly creative forces and one Martian force. The artisans, uh -huh. magic crafters, beast makers, and dream weavers, and the peacekeepers, respectively. What's, 
What's I? Are there, are there aliens in space? <laughs> I, think, I think he's talking about like illegal aliens. Is that what I, I am going to blow up your planet, Spiral. <laughs> I can't. Um, I, I I think he means Marshall, or it could oh. mean. It could be actually no. He he means in a literary sense, fucking Mars and war. Oh shit! You're oh right. my god! Oh. Yeah. That's it. Thank God. Holy shit! That's awful. That is insufferable. That is yeah. sure a mystery that nobody needs solved, but damn, did it just get solved? <laughs> I uh, I learned to read the I learned to read this shit, folks. I oh, can't immediately think of a singular example of a traditional metaphysics that corresponds to this taxonomy, but it seems broadly compatible with Jungian and Campbellian archetypes. <laughs> I actually think oh that there are probably God. many types of taxonomies that include uh, jobs. <laughs> but thanks, though. <laughs> Do you know how many fucking video games there are that have fucking <laughs> young just taped to the entirety of them and this idiot picks Spyro. Well, no, what it, what it is is you walk into an interview before you start, you're like, okay, uh, what tarot sign are you? Tell me before we begin. <laughs> <laughs> Combined this with is the, the first sp- time I've seen a doc hurt you way more than it hurts any of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm doing it for me. <laughs> Combined with the sparseness of the story itself, Spyro the Dragon could easily be interpreted as a New Age metaphysics using draconic imagery, exploring the liminal space of adolescence. Hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, in this context, it would be another example of an initiatory video game. Much like Undertale. Initiatory. Like. Yeah, I don't know that. I don't got that. Exploring the liminal space of at. Undertale is a gateway drug. Hey, there's a reason for that. There's a reason <laughs> a for good that. First video game? But that's. Not. Those last two sentences don't actually mean anything. <laughs> I don't know if I should be yeah. sad or relieved that this is the only article on their WordPress that mentions Undertale. <laughs> I think this guy just wrote this Little entire essay and then, like, rearranged every sentence. I'm going to skip this paragraph because I don't like it. Thus, their maleness cannot be metaphysical, even though it may take its template metaphysical lore. As its template, metaphysical lore. If their maleness is not metaphysical, it must be taken as psychological metaphor. My Rather maleness could use that kind of psychological metaphor. <laughs> Broadly reducible to the unseen material which it indexes, or material. You see, it's see the the fact that all of the uh, dragons in the uh, game are male is a metaphor uh, for the fact that the entire dev team was male and they voiced all the dragons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and you might have thought you found the one refutation to this and while it is true that Spyro can receive a kiss from a fairy uh, it is uh, oh, but it is notable that even in this case Spyro does not blush or indeed show any reaction to the kiss at all maintaining an entirely platonic composure even given the advanced <laughs> graphics of reignited well that is what the liminal space of adolescence is about. That's also not true. He blushes all over. And then he breathes super fire when he gets kissed. Oh, I That's get it. That's literally factually untrue. <laughs> no, it's an empty space, Dijon. It's uh, minimalism. Hey, Danny, why don't you keep going? 
Oh yeah, uh, taken together, this is still only sufficient to prove that Spyro the Dragon is androcentric. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, okay, in the sense that the characters are all dudes, sure. Uh, this is still only sufficient to prove that Spyro the Dragon is androcentric. The most mm -hmm. obvious character of the story is still that of a young male dragon learning how to be an adult, a man in the broadest sense, by which I mean right. not at all a man, a dragon. Yeah, a dragon, <laughs> rawr, 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 man. So it is no surprise that the story is androcentric, and the absence of female dragons mostly serves to center this aspect of the story. So you just explained the same thing twice, and then said it didn't matter. No. Yep. <laughs> this time it doesn't matter for different reasons. Uh, certainly Spyro is not sexualized in any other sense. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Nor is there any sexuality present in the whole of the game that I could discern. Well. <laughs> Might want to peer review well, that one. Uh, hold on, Mix. I thought you said that you found his fur affinity. I did. This is it. <laughs> he, how does he not know? He's... <laughs> just not a fan of subway uh but the shift from metaphysical gender to literal gender results in a subtle yet unavoidable semiotic shift into queer territory uh, good oh good god that's the third bingo card i filled out tonight and yeah and you get to read the next paragraph because you, you wanted to read what is very interesting about this shift is that it doesn't have the effect of subsuming the masculinity of spyro uh, either the game or the dragon <laughs> <laughs> Into wow. the broader okay. Thank you for clearing that up. It doesn't subsume it into the broader territory of queerness. It's almost... A, wait, so... It's gay, but what's not. What's very interesting... What's very... In, yeah. <laughs> what's very interesting is that while it is entering this broad territory of queerness, there's still a masculinity about it. Some strange homosexuality about it. it it shatters the boundary by in no way approaching it uh, the game remains fundamentally about masculinity first and then becomes queer in a qualified way it uh -huh. does this by negotiating the transformation from quote boy to quote man through a lens that accidentally or intentionally uses a semiotic framework that is broad enough to have reference mm. in general adolescence while simultaneously being overloaded in such a way that additional meaning becomes accessible when interpreted queerly. In this respect... Hey, actually, that's a description of your, your, your essay. <laughs> wow. Well, in this respect, then, both myself and Spyro the Dragon are steganographic. Uh, hmm. Frank. That's me. Your turn. My turn. And uh, go ahead, and uh, we are at the the use of fairies. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say we should we have to read this part because what the yeah, we, Christ we, do. We, we we have to we have to read the use of fairies. Well, the use of fairies to reproduce has <laughs> obvious <laughs> parallels to the way gay men sometimes use women to procreate. Whoa. <laughs> what? There is what? nothing wrong with this sentence. I don't. Wow. I don't think there's a single part of the sentence that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> there's not a single part of the sentence that's correct, and there's not a single part of the sentence that isn't offensive. Yeah. <laughs> Fairies barely exist in the first Spyro game. Exactly. <laughs> Just like a woman barely exists to all gay men. But I would believe more that the dragons mate with the weird crab men. <laughs> than the, the big fairies. Ooh, hold on now, hold on a minute. 
<laughs> What's going on here? Wow, maybe I am a Fujoshi. Hello. This then becomes part of the initiatory message of Spyro the Dragon. Going further, the enemies in the game are Gnorks. Am I pronouncing I don't know enough. It's just Nork, but you Nork. Can, it is pronounced both ways. <laughs> which are dismissed in the opening cin- cinematic as ugly. Apparently the worst form of disparagement in the game. Yeah, it's a child's game. This is the one thing that you took took, uh, offense to, huh? (laughs) Really stood out to me for some reason. The dragons themselves are often very homely. Hmm. Are we talking about the original, or...? Well, he... I don't think he's played the original at all, so... No. Some of them are old. I guess that's what he's talking about. (laughs) They're not horny enough for me, is what I mean. <laughs> I think this guy just—I think this guy's just so straight he cannot concept of someone finding a man attractive. <laughs> no, he literally cannot. <laughs> yeah, even with this the abstraction just... that they're dragons, it's just beyond the pale for his mind. This suggests ugliness as having a more operationalized meaning. The enemies in the games are all gemstones that were turned into monsters, while the good guys are dragons that were turned into gemstones. Mm. Wait, this is, mm. so you're saying Spyro is mm. Steven Universe? Who's the Universe? real monster? So, look, obviously, taken together, this reads as a metaphor for the development of gay dog. <laughs> 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 Albeit in a strictly non-sexual sense. Okay, okay, oh. yeah. It's bad, that, it's okay now. It's okay, it's fine. And that very specific pre-sexual, even proto-sexual sense. What? <laughs> all yeah, queer keep, people. Keep saying terms with sexual on the end. Metasexual. Proto-sexual uh, sense known to all queer people. Quasi-sexual. And denied systematically by straight and cis- cisgender people. Yeah, Frank. Yeah. Yeah. I don't... If, when I think about uh, things that straight people don't believe in, it's gaydar. <laughs> Spyro the dragon thus carefully navigates the pathway from the nascent and burgeoning psychic roots of adolescent gay male perception oh, to the full blown semiotic networks of adult gay male gaydar. Adult mm-hmm. male. Adult gay male. Gaydar. <laughs> Sorry. It's uh-huh. so good. <laughs> the adult the adult dragons themselves could all be dragon versions of Rocky Horror Picture Show characters. What does that mean? I don't know. It's in parentheses, so it doesn't have to connect to anything. This is, it's just this a thought I had. Is... Yeah, that is a trick of that is a trick of writing a paper. Yeah. I didn't know that Tim Curry <laughs> voiced one of the dragons. I'm excited to play Spyro now. <laughs> See, citations are usually put in parentheses, therefore if you put what you what you say in parentheses, then it's technically a fact. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, you didn't know that because he, uh, he actually did, he actually did his, um, his, uh, his American accent for it. Oh. Yeah. Well, the really yeah. nice thing is that it does so without ever breaching the infilite innocence of youth and thus masterfully avoids even a hint of pedophilia. <laughs> which would have mean? been obviously, <laughs> which is, which is obviously something that you had to avoid because... <laughs> Yeah, this I know. Yeah. Most, yeah, most of the media that I consume uh. fails to avoid even a hint. See, <laughs> see, this is this is why they made an adult Spyro to do porn of. It's not because there's pedophilia in there. Yeah, just this assumption. Like, I, I know what your first question is. It was mine too. Hey, so the rest of this 
spirals into uh, the most obvious padding of an, of an essay that had a word count requirement I have ever seen. Uh, but we do have to, we do have to, we do need, we are running short on time, we do, but we do need to get into Spyro 2. Oh yes, Spyro 2, Ripto's Age of Consent. Yeah, which is markedly less masculinist and homosexual than the first game, but not to the degree that forces discontinuity with that interpretation. So put that out of your mind. But actually, Spyro 2 is a story about capitalism. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's more of a Uh, it's more of a game about a military takeover. But sure. eh, Hey, uh, Mix, tell us about the narrative. The first layer. Okay, the first layer is the narrative. Spyro is brought into a world against his will where he is immediately subject to the needs and demands of a besieged foreign power. Oh, I like the way you're framing this. He must satisfy these needs and demands by accumulating and expending various treasures and rare items. It is worth noting Uh immediately that in the first Spyro game, treasure was not really a medium of exchange. It was a totemic or symbolic collective clan property of the dragons in totality, watched over faithfully by the peacekeeper branch of the dragon world. I don't think that's true. I don't understand the Mar- any you of mean this. the Martian branch? That's emphatically not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, the, well, look, they're clearly writing this for their for for a college course. So, and the co- and college professors know nothing about video games. So, oh, hey, why is this not? Why is this on a blog post? Well, it didn't. It didn't do anything except increase the glory of the dragons as a whole, much as captured treasure left at a shrine to Jupiter did for the Romans in the early (laughs) days of their empire. Identical, some would say. I guess implying that the dragons stole all their treasure from a different realm. (laughs) So wait, when did the dragons see? When did the dragons see a fresco with a lady getting eaten out on it? Is what I want to (laughs) know. Excuse you, it's a fairy getting eaten out. (laughs) <laughs> that's right that's she, she they're using they're using her to make a baby it's a fairy platonically yeah, reproduced her facial expression conveys that it's a platonic eating out <laughs> the guy eating her out does not blush does not react <laughs> does not breathe fire uh, he, he does in fact turn around to the camera and go it's a living at some point <laughs> even even after it was stolen by the gnorks the or converted into gnorks rather the closest we get to an exchange is when a balloonist asks to see the tr- what the fuck a balloon okay asks to see that the treasure, reinforcing the idea that it is valuable in a metaphysical rather than material capitalist sense. <laughs> this is very interesting because it demonstrates that the dragons, when left to their own devices, have traditional pre-capitalist ideas about property, or at least certain classes of property. Donkey Kong did not want to eat the bananas; he wanted to possess them. um hey Dijon yes we're gonna skip down again I want you to I want to skip down to our next layer which is at the bottom of page 21 Uh, which brings us to our next layers the characters of Hunter Laura Uh the professor And money bags carry a lot of weight. Yeah, 
There is their literal and their indirect significance, meaning in their characters they actually represent two or three layers rather than one. Mm. <laughs> so you're getting more than you bargained for. It's a for. delicious seven-layer dip of characterization. I can represent two or three layers, or just one. <laughs> you may call it Neapolitan. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to write about my Neapolitan paradigm. Uh, in this liminal space. These characters are somewhat free-floating in their relationship to each other, which is what allows them to take on so much significance in so many different ways. If treated as an organization, Laura <laughs> would be the face. Hunter, uh, Hunter would be the hacker, uh, and Moneybags uh, would be the ringleader. <laughs> No, what's it uh, say? A hunter would be the stand-in for whatever the game reviews as the most useless element of the organization. <laughs> yeah, whatever it might be. I mean, hunters, Hunter works in the mailroom. Either the CEO or the main workforce, presumably. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know if one of them's useless. Who can tell? And the professor. She's so, clo- she's so close to being uh, woke. And the professor would be a one-person engineering department. It is not hard to read them as being equivalent to a corporation in this respect. Uh-huh. Like I just said, uh, if you see them as a corporation... <laughs> if I say that they're like a corporation, one could assume that they are like a corporation. Laura deals with Spyro. She sees the HR department. Okay. And... That's paper ah, thin. Ah, ah! <laughs> Laura talks to people. <laughs> like a woman. Literally everyone is the HR department. <laughs> Moneybags in this context is simply the everything else company. Because I don't have any other ways to describe it. Well, yeah, what's your real uh, world yes. parallel Fair for enough. that? The most mm. important part of any corporation is the Acme division. <laughs> <laughs> In this reading, in addition to Spyro being a Shanghai soldier in Avalar's army, the only soldier in fact, he is also a con- contracted worker being paid on a gig-by-gig basis. <laughs> the two merge pretty seamlessly in what amounts to a probably unintentionally Rothbardian symmetry of power and market. Put put me into a toilet. <laughs> uh, Is this what happens when like people don't want to write fiction but still have whatever impulse people have to write fan fiction? Like, does this just manifest like this? <laughs> I want to be smart and have good thoughts, but the only thing I do is jerk off to dragons and play Spiral all day, so I have to have smart thoughts about one yeah. of those. In the end, Avalar becomes a kingdom that is hollowed out of all of its capital in the name of preserving its character from a foreign aggressor. I mean, they kind of willingly give Spyro the gems. <laughs> no, no, to... When his character is a collection of hollow parodies of pre-capitalist societies embedded in a larger capitalist context. In turn, that context enters a kind of stasis in the absence of further possibilities of capital exchange. Much like all of us, we're trapped in stasis. We've been reading for thousands of years. (laughs) 
Avalar becomes frozen and capable of further transformation or growth. I... Uh, and thus the de facto authorities of Avalar maintain their authority indefinitely. Defined primarily by their contrast to the unfettered, i.e. substantive, or even just, quote-unquote, actual, capitalism of money bags. <laughs> oh, the actual capitalism of the character named Money, money Bags. bags. <laughs> you know. Quote-unquote. Ah, I like the, that the, the person who fucking... Like, the, the the character that's literally just named Moneybags, he has a hard time fitting them into his <laughs> yeah. theories. Like, what could this <laughs> represent? <laughs> this is some really just brain-melting shit. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, and, Christ. Uh, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I looked at the next paragraph uh, to try to find, like, a sentence to start, but, like, half the paragraph is a single sentence. <laughs> 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 and uh, immediately after that, it's just two footnotes. Yeah, uh, footnote in one. In which he name checks Gil Deleuze. So, anyway. Mmm, uh. okay. Spyro 3, a draconic logos. <laughs> Spyro uh. 3, if it indeed has a message at all, has a much more subtle and occulted one than either of the previous two games How in the trilogy. How could it be more subtle than the fucking invisible meanings you wove for, <laughs> like... <laughs> well, if, if you, if you uh, look very closely, you learn about the uh, many war crimes that Sergeant Bird committed. <laughs> wow. Wow, Spyro made it real for me. At first glance, it is the most innocuous seeming of all of the games. However, this conceals incredible and brazen depths that I regret I am only partially able to uncover due to the subject matter not being within my normal wheelhouse. What isn't in your wheelhouse? Your wheelhouse seems to yeah, be everything. This, well, no, it, this seems to very directly be this person. Like, if this person can't uncover no, it, who these... can? <laughs> no, these seem theological rather than psychological. I'm a psychological genius, mm, but I know nothing gotcha. of religion. Oh. You see, I know my limits as an academic. As in the case of the first game, or economic as in the case of the second, I will at any rate endeavor... To explore the matter to the fullest of my ability. For you, the reader. First, the usual recap. Spyro begins with the dragons asleep in a field with dragon eggs, which are brought to the dragon realm only once every 12 years. Uh, this reference to the Chinese zodiac, along with the reference to the title Year of the Dragon, are best understood as a kind of diversionary tactic. Similar to what Yoko Taro uses in the Drakengard Near series by naming his oh, enemies come on! entities and philosophers. <laughs> Hold on! I.e. It has no real significance except to divert the attention of people unworthy of contemplating the deeper significance of the games. <laughs> Bet you feel stupid, occultists. Let's see, Spyro 3, release dates. Oh, hey, this sentence just doesn't work on, like, an English level. Oh, what do you mean? At any rate, asleep in the field with eggs, along comes the <laughs> That is the one rabbit. I meant. What? At any rate, comma, asleep in a field with eggs, comma, along comes Bianca, comma, a <laughs> rabbit. Period. Operating under the direction of an evil sorceress with the help of Rhinox, essentially just rhinoceros furries. 
We all know about those, don't we, people? <laughs> oh, what a surprise. Uh, Spyro Year of the Dragon uh, was released in the Year of the Dragon. I'm sure that means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's unrelated. She steals all the eggs and takes them to the opposite side of the world, from which we later learn that dragons either left a thousand years ago to get some peace and quiet, or were banished from by an evil sorceress, whatever. Hondur, who has been living with Spyro since the events of Spyro 2, this is probably also queering something, joins Spyro in searching for the eggs on the other side of the world in the Forgotten Realms. Uh, Spyro is aided by four creatures who he frees through the course of his adventures. A kangaroo, a bird, a yeti, and a monkey. That is... Yes, you have explained game the, Is this the video game? You better yes. believe it. I don't, uh, honestly, I don't, this is maybe the first time you have correctly described something in the Spyro games, so... <laughs> I don't... Spyro utters some lamentations after Hunter runs off with Bianca... Oh. Oh. Ah, spoilers. This is this is absolutely spoiling the plot of Spyro 3 <laughs> for you. And the baby dragons, including female baby dragons... God, I kind of know he's going... I, I, God, I knew he was going to bring that up. Are all happily returned... To the dragon. You knew he was going to bring it up because it's so impactful and important that it, it burned itself into your mind. <laughs> there are again multiple levels of meaning on display here. To properly explain requires giving some background on the semiotics of some of the symbols in Spyro as well as theological history. First, Bianca and the Rhinox. The obvious association of Bianca with the Easter Bunny, while apparently a throwaway joke, is in fact... What immediately renders Spyro 3 a theological text. You see, the, this is the important thing. In the Bible? This yeah. is the important thing. Are we about to thing. get into, like, weird fertility shit? Yes. Aww. There has been a lot written about Easter's allegedly pagan roots. Most of this has been well established as invalid. The Catholic <laughs> Church's willingness to uh, compete with pagan holidays and customs is well known footnote, but the essential meaning of each holiday always remained Christian. Indeed, there was never a time when a pagan holiday was truly appropriated by Catholicism in the sense that various atheist and new agers would like you to claim would yeah. like to claim. I thought theology was out of your wheelhouse, but it's cool you're still going <laughs> to talk down to bam, me. Bam, bam, bam! <laughs> Damn. Let's put the Christ back in Christer. <laughs> I mean, their religion is Chaos McGix, don't forget. So. <laughs> However, and remember, this is the obvious meat of the, of the Spyro lore, mm -hmm. not, not those other throwaway shiny Zodiac references. However, the Easter Bunny has some esoteric meanings, both within the Christian milieu, uh -huh. fuck off, and outside of it that remains quote-unquote alive, and thus very relevant to our interpretation of her appearance in Spyro 3. The most important and outstanding is her association with, and wait for it folks, the Virgin Mary. No, because Bianca's a slut. <laughs> <laughs> Ha 
how nice that one of the first female characters is his life. Glad okay. we've got the lore uh, master here to break that down for us. This is, this is, actually, I did I did want Dijon's expertise on this. Listen, she, she immediately oh, shacks up with Hunter. She knows him for like <laughs> less than a week, and like for most of that time, she's trying to kill him. Well, he's a good boy toy. This association came, oddly enough, through a reinterpretation of the alleged hermaphroditism of the hair, as was believed in commonly by the Romans. The hair was thought to change its gender from month to month and to be capable of reproducing without having sex. Ah. These associations with gender will prove to be very important in and of themselves later. You see, you fools couldn't see this. Only I, a true connoisseur, a true scholar of Spyro, could see this. Ah, so see, so see, furries who are into Herm are actually philosophers. <laughs> The rhinoceros are also not accidental. The rhinoceros <laughs> is a common real-world candidate for the biblical unicorn. Huh? As much as the whale is a common candidate for the a big fish that swallowed a Jonah. Um. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> yeah, right. No, you that's also know. not true. That's n- none of this is... Hang on! None of this is true! (laughs) (laughs) I said it wasn't my wheelhouse! You can't hold it against me! These sorts of deliteralizations of the Bible, though the elements in question often hail from particular translation choices rather than anything grounded, simultaneously have a secular character, while at the same time establishing the Bible closer to the modern consensus reality. This, too! is very important. We get some Bible verses in here. It's also possible but, uh, a lot of Frank... it's not made up. No! <laughs> hey, Frank. Yeah? Will you please scroll down to the end of page 25? Yeah. Of 30? Yeah. Hang uh, on. Sorry, I just checked. <laughs> the one that he says is outside of his wheelhouse is longer than the other two combined. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. It's almost as if when and someone he's way like more this certain starts... about it too. Like, yeah, sure. It's almost as if when someone like this starts talking about things they genuinely just have zero context for, <laughs> they just keep making shit up. A lot of flailing. Uh, Frank. That's me. Given all of this, what is Spyro Three saying? Given all of this, what is Spyro Three saying, intentionally or unintentionally? Two additional key details. The main antagonist, the sorceress, is female, and the structure of Spyro 1, 2, and 3 taken together concern matters of the body, i.e. psychological fracticity, matters of the mind, um, economic and social systems, and matters of the spirit. Not just because you said those things, because they are. Psychology is a matter of the body, (laughs) Uh and not a matter of the mind. Yes. Psychological facticity Uh, is... I don't. I don't even know what that one is. Uh, we here at Dance Fighter Redux are interested in a holistic approach, Dijon. Oh. <laughs> we here at Dance Fighter Redux I get it. often confuse yes. the terms psychological and physiological. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. This is deeply suggestive of Gnostic symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> Femaleness. Why? It's 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 Gnorkstick. Yeah, Gnorkstick. (laughs) (laughs) Femaleness 
in Gnostic metaphysics is, of course, the essence of everything weak, material, corrupt, and faithless. Am I right, fellas? <laughs> Spyro 3, interestingly enough, introduces femaleness in three new places. The female oh. sorceress, the female Bianca, and the female dragons. We don't know they're females. They just have bows in their hair. <laughs> it is hard. Uh, Dijon, what are you saying about my bow? <laughs> I'm saying it's very pretty. Oh, thank you. Uh, and it's also a great metaphor uh, for your faithlessness. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Shit! Oh no! I wasn't. You weren't supposed to know that! Were you able to scratch the surface beneath, into, into the deeper meaning of Spyro 3? Listen, I can see all the way into the metaphysical weaving of your uh, bow and your hair. I have several pages. Fuck, I thought I was keeping it in a liminal space. It is hard to know what to make of Spyro being a dragon. (laughs) 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 Why is Spyro a dragon? Am I right, fellas? Now that we have asked who is Spyro, we must ask why is Spyro? Or Alora being a fawn. Dragons in Christianity have, some apocrypha notwithstanding, normally been symbols of a will unchecked by any mortification of the flesh. Uh-huh. Or fundamentally out of tune with the natural world and God's will, fundamentally corrupted. Fawns, of course, have associations with the Romans and goat people more generally oh my with God. the Greeks. <laughs> Thus, Alora is in this context a natural stand in for paganism. Ah, that's why she's a but, good guy in this Christian game. And that's why this game. is it. And that's why, and that's why the Easter Bunny isn't about paganism. Elora is. Yes. Okay. Well, to get back to Spyro Three, dragons in Spyro Three are said to be the source of all magic. <laughs> that's in the game. Yeah, it is. And what's also very much true and written down clearly is that of course Christianity has two different major takes on the geek. Oh, only two. According to Spyro yes. 3. Oh, well, right, sorry. <laughs> uh-huh. The first, the hermetic take, is that Christ was the first magician and that all true high magic subsequently owes itself to him. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That Just is one like of the, the things. Yeah, Christianity does say that. That's why Chris Angel wears yeah. the cross. <laughs> The second take, of course, is that McGick is a trick played by Lucifer. Generally, her- oh my god. <laughs> that word is hermeneutically. Hermeneutically, that's what I was thinking, but I had to work my way through that's... it. Yeah, it is a word that assholes use. That's neutering a hermaphrodite? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh. Generally, hermeneutically interpreted as the devil, to lead souls away from God. Various it, divisions it, between McGick and Miracle, high and low McGick, and so forth, play it, with or combine the two. I, 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 I really, I, I know that no one else cares, but hermeneutic already refers to interpretation, specifically of biblical texts. Ah, so it, that's a, that's a, that's a that's a, once again you said the same thing twice, interpretatedly. but just this time, interpretatedly, I interpretatedly interpreted. <laughs> <sighs> I think Lee thought about this. <laughs> Sorry, Frank. 
Interestingly, Christ and Lucifer share a number of common links. First, through both being known as the Morning Star. Secondly, through the Lapsit Exilius, a jewel which was knocked from Lucifer's crown and which subsequently was carved into a bowl that became the Holy Grail itself. Wait. Hold hold on. Maybe. But I... So, okay. This is is genuinely uh, a weakness in academic rigor because before we we were discounting Apocrypha. Yeah, I... And now we are entering... Uh, 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 Holy Grail shit is like, uh, it's like, it's, it's like stuff the Catholics added later on, like the seven deadly sins. Yeah, but in this case, it agrees with, it's the stuff I'm saying, so. Yeah, which is why that's actually, be- okay. Yeah, I, I, sto- sorry, I stopped, I'm sorry. I stopped reading the Bible after like the third book. <laughs> also, <laughs> I would say everything he well, said to... about Spyro was like 99% apocrypha. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh. The, uh, you know, you're supposed to read it like right to left, Dijon. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah. Dragon wings are later revealed to grant immortality. So, yes. in our video game, with heavy, with heavy Christian esoteric significance, uh-huh. dragons are both the source of all magic and consuming their bodies grants immortality. Well, you don't eat the wings. You use the wings to cast a spell <laughs> because they're magic. Maybe. <laughs> you don't eat the wings. Maybe she eats yeah, the wings after casting the spell. Yeah, we're talking about Gnostic symbolism here, Dijon. Keep up. But of course, there was only one Christ, and in Spyro Three, there are many dragons. <laughs> what? Additionally, Christ has a very tenuous, though not trivial, connection to the dragon via Poimenadres. That's not pronounced right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not right. Sorry, Mandrins. <laughs> who in hermetic <laughs> who in hermetic <laughs> lore is associated with the world mind and the logos through yeah. the Prisca Theologica <laughs> so there's a lot going on here <laughs> there's a lot going on here there is so much going on here that I don't think we can handle much of more anymore or as it says in the text so much that i'm unable to really unpack more than a small fraction of it <laughs> wow this is a big fraction <laughs> the primary of the game involves the sources falling into a lake of fire lava <laughs> yeah thanks uh hey mix yep scrolling through the rest of this does anything jump out at you because I really want to, I really want to have you, I really want to let you read something before we wrap this up. But I don't know what. I'm going to guess it's the thing you have highlighted. <laughs> um, if you'd rather read a different thing, you can <laughs> opt into, opt, listen, opt, All opt of this to... is just bouncing off my brain because I know zero about Spyro. So I will trust your Oh, 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 I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. I forgot that this is very clearly all part of the part of the the, the theoretical, philosophical, oh, wow. and, and, and ecumenical Yeah, Mix, I bet, I bet this has all is... sounded like nonsense to you until now. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, but hopefully I'm about to read something that'll make it all make sense to me. <laughs> sure won't. See, see, Mix completely agreed with this person when we were reading about Malator <laughs> and after this lost. <laughs> Oh, I, I understood that perfectly. <laughs> um, so, Gnosticism, if we are being honest, was largely a grift. 
an attempt by opportunists to capitalize on the religious confusions of the time by engaging in syncretism in order to try and find formulas of power over their fellow man. Uh-huh, sure. But by the same token, Gnosticism was conversant with different philosophical traditions in a way that... Oh, okay, hold on. <laughs> well, in a way that conventional Christianity wasn't. So it was a grift because it reached people. <laughs> yes. Okay. The complexity of Spyro 3 hints at a similar syncretism. An engagement <laughs> with multiple simultaneous religious and philosophical frameworks. Of course, yeah, we all If do. I were more familiar with the history of the Christian thought, <laughs> especially regarding the Prisca Theologia, I feel I would be better able to puzzle these mysteries out, alas. But I haven't now, if, watched that anime If I yet. knew a single goddamn thing about what I was talking about, maybe I could come to a conclusion here, but I don't. Anyway, I have more to say. Uh, when symbols converge in such a specific way, it is neither accidental nor impotent. Though that does not always mean it was intended for a given reader. My background is chaos magic, which in turn affects my yeah. own hermeneutics. In my formula, Christ equals serpent equals devil equals Baphomet equals Pan. Okay, so everyone, everyone in the Bible is just the same person. They're all heads. It's not a formula. There's nothing being applied to something else. It's just a series of equivalencies. Listen, it's chaos magic because everybody disagrees with me. this in turn renders the body of christ formula into a form of pantheism in which the totality of will constituting the world is softened by its total immersion in christianity you will sometimes find mad heretics on the internet and elsewhere talking about christ consciousness which is itself a syncretic formula borrowing from the gnostic concept of gnosis and various buddhist and hindu concepts Mm-hmm. But don't worry, I am not mm-hmm. sure about the validity of any of these formulas. <laughs> <laughs> but they become. But, but would, it. Would, it, would it really be Chaos McGeek if I was certain people? Well, they become readily apparent through different lenses and combinations. <laughs> this you know, better one, or better better Spyro one, or better Spyro two. You, you know, it's all, all of my all of my uh, academic and like scientific papers end with I don't fucking know. Maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, this is something of a digression, though. Yeah, it sure it, is. And all the papers start with, it would be irresponsible of me to try to talk about this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sure is something of a digression. So, extra credit, what did you learn this evening? I learned that the real Holy Trinity is Spyro 1, Spyro 2, and Spyro 3. <laughs> the word hermeneutically? <laughs> oh, good, oh yeah, good. a lot, you, a lot of words I'll never the, use again. You're going, you're going with the Gani answer, the thing that you actually did learn. <laughs> well, I just learned that she's been banned from the fucking fur affinity forums, so that's an accomplishment. Oh, you also learned that. Oh, well, hey Dijon. Wait, hold on. Is this? Is it a lady? Is this a yes. woman? Then why oh. do they care so much about gay dragons? Um. Oh, never mind. I answer my own question. Yeah, I was kind of waiting for the turnaround on that one. Some things have been recontextualized for me. And that's, I just learned something. There you go. Uh, I definitely uh, I... also learned... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say that I learned that the story of Spyro 1, 2, and 3 are way more complex than I thought they were. Yeah. Apparently. Uh, because this person, I think... 
only one out of every four or five facts about the game that they stated were actually correct. They just got very basic <laughs> things wrong. <laughs> like, oh yeah, well, obviously, it's obviously stated in the game that the dragons fought fairies. Like, no? This never comes <laughs> up. I don't. No. I uh, I learned... Oh my god. I mean, I learned that in an effort to make a document that I wanted to hurt Dijon, I have actually only hurt myself more. It probably gave you flashbacks, didn't it? Sure did. Man, you know, there were some things that, you know, there were some things I read back then that I really liked, and I thought were really, really good, like, really good, thought-provoking, like, theories and stuff. And then I realized that they enabled this. Nadir good, liminal bad. And I felt conflicted. Yeah. It's unfortunate because like this is it's it's a really it's a really nice uh this is a really nice episode and a really nice doc. Uh but then uh as you look deeper you find out that it only works on the suffering of a single girl uh named Shelgan. <laughs> and if you only work on the suffering of a single girl, you should head on down to Ball Pit. <laughs> That's B A L L P dot I T. But if you want more from us, you should head on down to T H E F M I N dot U S. There, you're gonna find, you're gonna find other episodes. You're gonna find episode art for this episode and other episodes too. You're gonna find episode descriptions for this episode and other episodes too. And uh, you know, you'll find some ways to uh, comment. You'd like if you leave a comment. If you if you reference the ones that the ones that walk away from Omelas in a comment, the I ones will who walk away from Avalar. Thank you. Get it. <laughs> I get that reference. And I might not get many other references. So saith Dijon. <laughs> um but you know, you can also talk about other stuff if you want. I'll just be too dumb to understand it. Uh you could also check us on Twitter at snakes in the letter B pit. That's snakes in the B P I T. Yeah, we tweet at us sometimes. Yeah, tweet. We at dare us. you. Follow us. Re- re- uh, share us. Retweet us. Listen to our Whatever. episodes Whatever and from them extrapolate an entire series of beliefs and assumptions <laughs> about yeah, religion write, and the nature write of life. Some, write some papers. Write some papers. Read uh, the Bible. Submit your thesis to thefmin.us. Yes, and as always, of course, read the, read your Bible. Read your Bible. <laughs> read your Bible. That's our sign-off. This is a Christian podcast. <laughs> That's always been our sign-off. Read your Bible. We're yeah, pulling yeah. in another ICP. We were Christian all <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, when you consider it hermeneutistically. <laughs> really, our Christianity exists in a liminal space. If you hermeneutically uh, interpret the liminal space of the interpretation, holistic. It's the Gnostic symbolism oh. of the. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody! Goodbye. Ask the dragon while she's crawling with eight legs, and she says, Don't know. I'm just doing it. Ask a giraffe why he's keeping his neck straight, and he says,
that they begin with LGBT and dragon rights and ignore <laughs> like liberals are wont to do. <laughs> Classic big dragon buying the Democrats again. <laughs> Ooh, big dragon. Well, uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren, where do you stand on dragon rights? Well, I'm one thirty-second dragon. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on your mother's side, right? I see it. 